from WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Thanks for your patience. Our connection this hour was made in roughly 25 minutes in an audio essay from New York Times columnist Ezra Klein. In that essay, Klein makes the case that President Biden should not run for president this year, and he should step aside. In Klein's words, as a hero. Four years ago, Joe Biden promised that his presidency would be the bridge to the next generation of Democratic leadership. That bench of contenders waiting in the wings is rather large. Vice President Harris, Gretchen Whitmer, Josh Shapiro, Wes Moore, Jared Polis, Pete Buttigieg, for starters. That's who Klein wants to see compete to be on the ticket this year. His essay went super viral in the political class. He acknowledges that it was sure to make many Democrats angry. But Klein says he hears from Biden's close associates all the time who are concerned that he is going to lose, but no one is stepping in to persuade him against this campaign. Let's listen to some of Klein's contentions first. He starts with this. He thinks Joe Biden is a very good president, and the record is strong. The Biden team, in partnership with Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve, they brought inflation back down, and we are still beneath 4% unemployment, still. And I don't want to skip over that accomplishment. Most economists said that would not happen. The overwhelming consensus was we were headed for recession, that the so-called soft landing was a fantasy. It got mocked as, quote, immaculate disinflation. But that is exactly what happened. We didn't have a recession. We are still seeing strong wage gains for the poorest Americans. Inequality is down. Growth is quick. America is far stronger economically right now than Europe, than Canada, than China. You want to be us. And yet, Klein notes Biden's polling is both dismally bad and almost fixed in place. When the economy surges, Biden's polling remains the same. When inflation comes down and unemployment comes down, Biden's polling remains the same. He is not getting credit from voters for what Klein sees as a strong performance in difficult circumstances. And so we arrive at the central problem. First, Biden's age and decline have not prevented him from being a good leader, Klein says, or a good president. But there's a separate issue at play. I am convinced, watching him, listening to the testimony of those who meet with him, not all people who like him, I'm convinced he's able to do the job of the presidency, that he is sharp in meetings, that he is sound in his judgments. I cannot point you, even now, to a moment where Biden faltered in the presidency because his age had slowed him. But here's the thing. I can point you to moments where he is faltering in his campaign for the presidency because his age is slowing him. This distinction between the job of the presidency and the job of running for the presidency keeps getting muddied, including by Biden himself. Ezra Klein notes that by this point in his presidency, Barack Obama had given more than 400 interviews. Donald Trump had given 300. Joe Biden has given less than 100. His staff does not want him in the public eye that often. Klein points to repeated gaffes. And yes, he says Donald Trump has gaffes too. But he's focused on Biden. And Klein says it is not just a media invention to say he has lost his fastball. We had to wait till this year, till now, really, to see Biden even begin to show what he'd be like on the campaign trail. And what I think we're seeing is that he is not up for this. He is not the campaigner he was even five years ago. That's not insider reporting on my part. Go watch a speech he gave in Pennsylvania, kicking off his campaign in 2019. She loves this city. I do, too. But to paraphrase the poet James Joyce, I have to say this, folks, because I'm near my state. When I die, 
Delaware written on my heart. The way he moves, the energy in his voice. Then go watch the speech he gave last month in Valley Forge, kicking off his re-election campaign. Thank you. Please, thank you. Please, thank you very, very much. Today, uh, the topic of my speech today is deadly serious. And uh, I think it needs to be made at the outset of this campaign. No comparison here. Both speeches are on YouTube, and you can see it. The Democrats denying decline are only fooling themselves. But even given that, I was stunned when his team passed on the Super Bowl interview. Biden's not up by 12 points. He can't coast to victory. He's losing. He is behind in most polls. He is behind despite everything people already know about Donald Trump. He needs to make up ground. If he does not make up ground, Trump wins. The Super Bowl is one of the biggest audiences you will ever have. And you just skip it? You just say no? Some of the polling that we're seeing today. Biden trails Trump by an average of five points in the seven swing states. North Carolina, he's down nine. Arizona, six. Georgia, six. Nevada, six. Pennsylvania, six. Wisconsin by four. Michigan by two. In a brand new Bloomberg Morning Consult poll. 82% of voters in the seven swing states polled by Bloomberg said that Biden is too old to run. So where would that leave this election? If President Biden announces in April or May or June that he is not going to be the candidate, what happens? Klein says what happens next is what happened for decades until the 1970s. The thousands of delegates to the Democratic National Convention pick the ticket. Vice President Kamala Harris would be the presumptive choice, but Klein notes that she performs worse than Biden in polling, and so he concludes that the party has a long list of options, and the convention would be a place to hear them make that case. If Harris cannot convince delegates that she is the best shot at victory, she should not and probably would not be chosen. And I don't think that would rip the party apart. There is a ton of talent in the Democratic Party right now. Gretchen Whitmer, Wes Moore, Jared Polis, Gavin Newsom, Raphael Warnock, Josh Shapiro, Cory Booker, Ro Khanna, Pete Buttigieg, Gina Raimondo, AOC, Chris Murphy, Andy Bashir, J.B. Pritzker, and a list like this could go on and on. Some of these people would make a run at the nomination. They would give speeches at the convention and people would actually pay attention. The whole country would be watching the Democratic convention and probably quite a bit happening in the run-up to it and seeing what this murderer's row of political talent could actually do. And when it was all tested and seen and heard from and debated, some ticket would be chosen. A ticket that was new to the American people to get a ton of coverage. Could that go badly? Sure. That doesn't mean it will go badly. It could make the Democrats into the most exciting political show on earth. And over there, on the other side, that's going to be Trump getting nominated and a who's who of MAGA types slavering over his leadership. The best of the Democratic Party against the worst of the Republican Party. A party that actually listened to the voters against a party that denies the outcome of elections. A party that did something different over a party that is again nominated a threat to democracy who has never not once won the popular vote in a general election. That seems like an okay contrast to me. That's New York Times columnist Ezra Klein. And as he notes, none of this will matter if President Biden decides he is doing this come hell or high water. Klein also says maybe this is all Democratic concern over nothing. After all, Donald Trump's legacy is largely as a political loser. He narrowly won the Electoral College, lost the popular vote in 2016. Republicans got rolled in 2018. Trump not only lost the presidency in 2020, but Democrats won the close races in the Senate and the House. 
And then the Biden midterm election was largely a bust for MAGA candidates. So that being the case, why are Democrats worried? They're worried, Klein says, because the polls in the swing states are bad news for Biden so far. And they don't want to mess around with what a Trump victory might mean. My guests this hour have attended past conventions, and they're here to discuss whether the idea of an old school open convention could really work. Rick Dollinger was at convention, multiple conventions. He was a delegate in 2004. He was a state senator for 10 years. He's been a judge. Uh, judge Dollinger, welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Evan. And welcome to Sandy Frankel. Sandy was a delegate in 2000, has attended two other conventions, has been a Brighton Town supervisor for 20 years. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So let's just start with whether this seems like a viable idea at all, or is this a lot of hullabaloo over nothing, Rick Dollinger? What do you think? Well, let me start first, Evan, by saying this is an if scenario. Um, I, I want to make it clear. I am a Biden guy. I believe that the president has achieved incredible public policy goals in the course of his first term. And quite frankly, uh, if he wants to run for a second term, uh, so be it. Um, I do think that there is a reasonable discussion about a, whether that should happen, both given the polling and the fear among Democrats of a second Trump administration. And there's also a serious question about um, age. I mean, it's reflected in the statistics that uh, Ezra Klein mentioned that 82 percent of voters in swing states felt Biden was too old. But uh, it's that's the one thing, no matter what he does, he cannot cure. That's not something he can improve on over the course of the next eight months. So I think there's a very legitimate debate about whether he should make the decision to run or not. I think he's got a record that could justify running again. But the interesting thing about it from my point of view is his record is a Democratic record. It's a record that another Democrat could not only buy into, but say that they voted for and support it. So if you took the Biden agenda and put it in the hands of another Democratic candidate, a younger Democratic candidate, the issue of age disappears and the strength of the policy choices remains. That's really the dilemma. But I want to make it clear. Joe Biden decides to run. I'm going to support him and do everything I can to reelect him. And you think he will win if he runs? Actually, I do. I, I think that as the issues become more important, as the public looks at the policy questions, the uh, pick one, uh, the abortion issue, the infrastructure improvements, the chip manufacturing, uh, the issue involving the border, which I would have said was a potential hole in Biden's administration until the Republicans rejected the compromise in which he, among other things, had suggested he would temporarily close the border. So I think there's um, a message that Biden has that is a winning message when you get down to the messaging. But what he can't have and what Democrats can't have is that the age factor overwhelms the message. And I find it fascinating, but it's just a fact that he's running against a guy who's only four years younger than he is, yeah. but he's preserved, he's perceived as being uh, a decade or two younger than he is. And again, as you know, voters vote based on perceptions. But the bottom line for me is the president wants to run, I'm going to support him. If there's, If he decides not to run, as both Ezra Klein has mentioned and we've mentioned in private conversations, there's a strong bench out there for people who could carry the Biden legacy forward. And you think could win this year? I do. Oh, I I think that 
a if the age issue in my opinion the age issue disappears or it is significantly mooted because of Biden's performance over the next 8 months i think he wins easily sandy frankel is this something that could happen this idea of an open convention well, you know, I agree completely with what Rick said. Um, I'm a strong Biden supporter. I'm also 82 years old. I'm a year older than Biden. And I know a lot of 82-year-olds and 81-year-olds and 80-year-olds who are very sharp, very with it, and able to take on and do remarkable things. So for me, the focus on age is in part ageism. And it's also looking at some of the characteristics that Biden displays, like his stuttering. I'm a former speech-language pathologist. Stuttering has nothing to do with competence. It is, it is a very different kind of issue, but it doesn't mean that he can't do the job and do it extremely well. He's demonstrated that he can. And because speeches are not um, as compelling when someone has that kind of issue, it, it should not get in the way of the um, actual work policies and, and character of the person. And the other aspect that people talk about with regard to his age is that he seems to be slowing, that he doesn't walk very fast. Well, how many people in this country have arthritis? A lot. It doesn't mean that it's affecting their mental capacity or their ability to get jobs done. Um, so I believe that he can and will campaign. I think we're beginning to see more uh, liveliness in some of his um, campaigning out on um, in, in the communities. And he's very good with, with groups of voters, um, though his um, speech making may not be uh, at the debate cali caliber that people look for. And to me, that's really more showmanship, and it's more um, celebrity aspect than it is um, who has the right credentials, the right competence, um, the right stuff to get this, this job done, both on the campaign trail and then in elective office. I'm very concerned about Trump winning. I certainly don't want to see that, and I'm going to work really hard for Biden or whomever is the Democratic nominee if that should happen. Um, I hope he stays in, frankly. Your preference is that he does stay. Yes, but I certainly will support yeah. the Democratic nominee, whomever that turns out to be. Do you think uh, it, um, that they another ticket could win this year? I think both Biden and another ticket could win. Uh, I really do. Um, and I and I see that because we have uh, a fair number of Republicans who are n never Trump. Uh, we have independents who are undecided, um, but are leaning towards uh, Biden, or who are very concerned about Biden's um, indictments and potential. Trump's indictments, yes. Tri I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. There, see, that was my gaffe, but it doesn't mean I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, well, and, and Evan, to be honest with you, you could get no better demonstration of how age doesn't affect articulation and skill than in the voice of my colleague and good friend, Sandy Farkel, who's older than I am, but sitting next to me in proof that age, it does not does not mean that there's a reduction in some skill politically or otherwise. I, I, what I do hope is that 
that Biden does get out more and more in public, does more communication both in talk shows as well as uh, meeting with voters. And when he does that, he does very well. Um, so I'm hoping that there is more strength there. With regard to the convention, um, the way the system works now, uh, we have our primaries and our caucuses around the country, and delegates are assigned to candidates. So when they go into the convention, um, those delegates, by and large, are bound by the individual candidate they're supporting who got certain amount of votes. And the candidate who has the most uh, delegate votes that meet, reaches the criteria to win the nomination is our candidate. We saw that with Al Gore in 2000. He secured um, something like 75% of the delegates by March. And uh, Bill Bradley dropped out at that point. He had a very small uh, level of support. Gore went into the convention with enough delegate votes at that point on the first ballot to win. And so he became our nominee. Had somebody else, had Bill Bradley or somebody else, um, and we see that in some of the other conventions, uh, come into the convention uh, without the, the requisite number to actually become the nominee, on the second ballot, people would begin to do um, lobbying, if you will, both on the floor of the convention and also, I'm sure, in back rooms. And they'd be talking about, you know, some of it, some people might refer to it as horse trading, but it's uh, trying to get the delegate votes from those candidates who aren't going to make it to come on over and what are they going to do um, to make that happen. Um, and there's also discussion about the party platform and what issues do people want to see on that platform? What kind of commitments can, can people um, make that will help swing their votes in the convention itself? Um, so we have, in part, an open convention already once you get past the first ballot. Well, okay. I... And, and, and let me just say, um, to me, that says that the people who are voting in the primaries and in the caucuses who come out with a preferred candidate, that's democracy. It may be a small turnout, but they're telling the, the Democratic Party what the will of Democrats out there um, is. And I think that, that that has to be valued and respected. Judge Dallinger. Uh, here's the interesting thing about this year from the point of view of an open convention. Joe Biden will have sewed up almost all the delegates in the next month and a half. He will have enough to be renominated. If he chooses not to run, my understanding is those delegates fall into the uncommitted. Uncommitted. Game. Uncommitted. Right. That's right. Which means they're free that, agents, right? Correct. And one of the interesting questions in an open convention would be to what extent can Biden the incumbent but not running for re-election president, direct those uncommitted delegates to a particular candidate. In other words, can Biden deliver his 
huge flock of delegates to a particular candidate? And if so, who will that be? But but what happens is if Biden leaves the race, those delegates are suddenly open. We're back to 1968 when uh, Lyndon Johnson left in March, and suddenly a whole bunch of people jumped in. Well, Robert Kennedy in particular jumped in the race. Gene McCarthy had already been in it. But it, it led to what I've always considered, and I told you this earlier, Evan, the most exciting time in my life in the Democratic Party. I wasn't even old enough to vote at the time, but it was by far the most exciting thing in Democratic well, politics. Well, remind people what happened. 1968. 1968, the war in Vietnam is is tearing at the heart of America. Gene McCarthy, United States senator, announces that he's going to challenge President Johnson. Uh, President Johnson stays in until the New Hampshire primary. He wins the New Hampshire primary as a write-in. But McCarthy gets, I believe, in the 40 percent of Democratic votes in New Hampshire. And as a consequence of that, uh, Johnson announces that he's not going to seek re-election, even though he was entitled to under the 25th Amendment because he hadn't served two full terms. He'd only served one. And so at that point, Robert Kennedy jumps in the race and Hubert Humphrey jumps in the race as the vice president. Johnson throws his votes and his support to Humphrey. And Humphrey, uh, during the course of the primaries, they, they eventually go to California, which, of course, Robert Kennedy wins and announces from the podium that he's ready to go to Chicago and lead the Democratic Party to victory in his useful— At the convention. Into, the at Chicago the convention, convention in Chicago. He announces that he's going to lead the Democrats to victory and they're going to beat Richard Nixon. And sure enough, his life ends 20 minutes later, tragically— and we go to a convention where Kennedy's delegates are now uncommitted because he's no longer in the race. Johnson is pushing for Humphrey. Gene McCarthy is there. The convention boils over into the streets of Chicago. We end up with a Democratic candidate who's saddled with the war in Vietnam. He loses by a smidgen to Richard Nixon, and the future of the country from a Democratic perspective changes. But the point is, Kennedy's delegates were free to go to the convention uncommitted. If we had a convention this year in which Biden was not, had withdrawn as a candidate, there will be a, com a convention in which most of the delegates will be uncommitted. And so you end up in a convention where the issue, as Sandy described it, of horse trading and who the convention delegates will pick the best candidate. So two things here. Sandy says that her preference is that Joe Biden run for re-election, stay in this race, see it through and win. Do you have a preference that he stay in or not stay in? I believe that the president should make his own choice. If he believes, and this is where I trust Joe Biden, if he believes he can run this way. Senator, you're it, dodging the question. <laughs> I will vote for Joe Biden, and I think Joe Biden should be the candidate for president, yes. Okay. But you'd be just fine if he decided that he's not going to run. You think that the party would be in good shape? I believe that the party has the right policies. It's the right time. Uh, the country is afraid of a, po a presidency, a second presidency of Donald Trump. You put those factors together with Joe Biden's blessing, the Democratic Party wins. We've got a host of good people. I could run through them, and it's well, and, and it's impressive. And Klein did, but, but I, well, I want to ask you both about one important thing here before we get to some feedback from listeners. And listeners, if you want to weigh in on whether you think an open convention could work for the Democratic Party this year, 
844-295-TALK. It's toll free. 844-295-8255. 263-WXXI if you're in Rochester. 263-9994. You can email the program connections at WXXI.org. My guests, Rick Dollinger, Sandy Frankel, are past delegates to the National Convention and are talking about not only their experiences, but what could possibly happen in this kind of scenario. You bring up 1968, which was a disaster mm-hmm. at the convention there. Mm-hmm. And Klein, in his work last week and this week, has noted that there's a lot of ways this could go this year mm-hmm. if, if Biden announces he's not running. Number one, he could immediately throw support behind the vice president. It would be very, very difficult to stop Kamala Harris with Biden's blessing from getting the nomination. If he doesn't, and Harris is not the party's choice, there's a couple of scenarios that are a little more rosy and a little more negative for Democrats. You could have different factions, you know, a, a, the more left part of the party demanding more of a voice, more of a presence, a place on the ticket, top of the ticket or second, refusing to support. Those issues could bubble over. Or you could see a coalescing similar to what Joe Biden was able to pull off four years ago mm-hmm. that kind of blesses whatever ticket gets chosen, whoever is on that. Gretchen Whitmer, Josh Shapiro, Newsom, whoever. I don't know what's more likely. We are so fractured and polarized as a society, as a polity. I don't know what to expect. I mean, Sandy, do you have a sense that an open convention, as, as rancorous as it could be, could could emerge sort of unified? I think that the Democratic Party um, can and would pull together because there is such strong um, opposition to another Trump presidency. So I think that could be a motivating factor, even if people um, are not the best of friends from different quarters of of the party. Uh, But I also think that um, when you talk about who the potential um, alternatives might be, and Rick, you mentioned um, uh, Johnson um, getting behind Hubert Humphrey. He was his vice president. Mm -hmm. And in this case, um, Kamala Harris is the vice president, and I think she would be the likely person that um, that Biden would get behind. He has already expressed his strong support for her continuing on the ticket, and I suspect, though I don't have any inside information on it, that um, that's where he would go, though um, he would support one of the others if if they emerged as as the nominee. Um, so uh, I really am optimistic, cautiously optimistic, because I know that uh, this is going to be a very close race, and uh, it's going to take all hands on deck uh, for us to win, um, because I'm also concerned about um, problems that, that can affect the outcome that we haven't even experienced yet. What will AI do with misinformation, and um, and what will the Russians do? What will interference in the election itself um, cause people to be confused and not really have the facts? So that that's a concern for me. Rick, do you think a convention is more likely to be rancorous and fractured or emerge with unification? I think it emerges with unification, and let me just say a couple quick things in response to Sandy. First of all, 
When you are the presidential nominee and you pick a vice presidential candidate to run with you, you are, in essence, saying that that person is capable of being right. president of the United States. Of course. I don't, right. I don't think Joe Biden has any worries about Kamala Harris being president, okay? And I think he would throw his support to her. Is that enough? I don't know. My, I do know that the polls show uh, she actually polls behind Biden in she most does. of the swing states. She does. So that's a factor if you're looking to win that you have to consider. The other thing to keep in mind is that a, an open, a quote, open Democratic convention would be different this year than it was in Chicago in 1968 because we changed the rules about who are the delegates. And we have super delegates. The, the back room of Tammany Hall and Mayor Daley and the Pendergast machine from Missouri, which delivered the vice presidency to Harry Truman, those days, they're not gone. I wouldn't suggest they're gone. But the influence of the insiders in the back rooms is significantly muted because the, the party delegates have a much broader base in our constituencies. Is All, this democratic? Is it democratic? Small well, d democratic. Yes, it's far more democratic. The party is far more democratic based on who the delegates are. And I think that the unifying factor in this case is, as Sandy pointed out, it's the distaste for the opponent. That will drive Democrats to come up with the best possible team to beat Trump and whoever his vice presidential candidates. That's the unifying factor. Is You're talking about pragmatism. I believe that pragmatism will prevail. And, and as much as there are factions in our party who would prefer one candidate or another— the one thing I think they all agree on is that whoever gets this nomination will be far better than Donald Trump. That's the unifier. And, and you know, I heard the same thing with the uncommitted uh, coming out of Michigan. They may be concerned about uh, issues related to the uh, Israeli-Hamas uh, war, uh, but at the end of the day, they're not going to be supporting Trump. And and that that's what I don't know. Uh, I, heard. That, I don't. I understand the point that you're making because it's a binary choice, and Donald Trump is the literal president <laughs> who tried to institute a Muslim ban Correct. and probably would again. Right. But I also can't speak for a population of voters who are very very upset. I I agree that they're very upset, and I understand why they're upset, and. Um, you know, the reality is that um, those those emotions carry deeply in many different groups. I have family. I have kids who live in Israel. That's a worry for me. I also um, am very troubled by the many suffering um, Palestinians who are who are innocent victims right now. And so it's it's a very difficult situation. But at the end of the day, when people look at what the, the binary choice is, as you say, um, I think either they, they support the Democratic nominee or they stay home, but they don't vote for Trump. All right. Keep it brief, Judge, and then I got to get my, a break. My comment is real simple. The, uh, the only excitement that has occurred in the last five Democratic conventions has not been who the presidential candidate will be. That's already resolved. Right. It's a coronation for them. The only question is who the vice presidential candidate is, and that drives some enthusiasm. To go to a convention 
where you didn't know who the candidate would be and you would have a voice in saying who it is, I think meets, meets the point that Klein mentions, which is greater enthusiasm among Democrats in November. Well, you were there in 2004. I was. And, and one other, not to contradict Judge Dollinger here, but the one <laughs> other aspect of conventions that have been of interest when there's not much drama over what a ticket is going to be is, is there a younger newcomer to the scene that makes an introduction of themselves to the American people? And in 2004, Barack Obama's speech as a state senator running for U.S. Senate lit that convention on fire. I remember big selections of it still. Mm-hmm. That launched his career, didn't it? I mean, Absolutely. Well, and the other thing. What was that? You were there in the I, hall? I was there. I, I listened to his, uh, to his speech to a small group at the convention. He was amazing. Yeah. I mean, and and you're, what was it like in the hall? Oh, it was electric. And the only thing, other thing I would point out, there was a governor from a failed state in the South who gave a long, boring speech in 1988 as the keynote speaker for the Democratic Party. <laughs> he turned out to be one of the most electrifying speakers in the history of, of presidential oratory, and his name was Bill Clinton. So he uh, gave a dud in 88? Is that it was a dud. Yeah, he was thought, widely I, jeered I by the that. crowd. He was widely jeered by the crowd. It was long, and it was Talk terribly boring. Learning a pretty quick lesson there. Ezra Klein's point is if if Barack Obama was a, a central, exciting point for Democrats in 2004... He thinks an entire convention of people like that who are on the rise and contending for a ticket could capture the country's attention if it's an open convention in 2024. After we take this only break, we'll come back with Sandy Frankel, Rick Dollinger, who have been delegates at past conventions, and we'll get some of your feedback on what this might look like next. Coming up in our second hour, my colleague Mona Segatola-Slami hosts a conversation with Andreas Delfs from the RPO and the principal pops conductor, Jeff Tyzik, about the 2024-2025 season. And we'll have a little audio preview, some music composed by Jeff Tyzik in honor of the upcoming eclipse. It's all coming next hour on Connections. Okay, we've got a lot of, of your feedback, and I'm going to try to get through as much as possible. So thank you for all the emails here. I'll start with Kathy, who says... Hello, this is why we need ranked choice voting. These conventions do nothing for unaffiliated voters like me. Neither the top Democrat or the top Republican currently is anyone I would vote for. Ranked choice voting, Sandy Frankel, are we going to have it sometime? We have it in some places in this country. Maine, um, New York City on local elections, I think. But what, what, what do you make of ranked choice voting? I think it's an interesting approach. Um, I don't know, frankly, I don't know enough about it to give... Uh, a well-informed opinion. Um, I'd like to know more about it to see what the um, byproduct would be as compared with um, the kind of approach we have now. Okay. Rick? If anybody wants to say in who the Democratic Party nominee is going to be for president, join the Democratic Party. The one thing we don't do, either Democrats don't do it and Republicans don't do it, we don't give independent voters a chance to weigh in on our candidates. So I understand uh, the frustration as an independent. The other thing is I'm not a big fan of of, – plurality voting or a breakdown in the vote. I have said this to Evan. I'm a big fan of winner-take-all primaries. I'm a big fan of you win, you win. You don't, uh, in the political world, I never got anything for finishing second. I did finish second a bunch of times, <laughs> and, and nobody had any sympathy for me. They so. didn't give you... 48% of the job, did they? No, they didn't. No, I, they didn't. I asked for it, but nobody was willing to give it. My, my point is, and the speaker, the the caller, whoever, 
is right. I mean, we do not in the political process recognize independent voters. And what's fascinating about it is right here in Monroe County, Evan, there are more independent voters than there are Republican voters. So when you look at it, independents, more and more people have abandoned the political parties. But we still count on the political parties to offer us the candidates. And I understand the independent voters' frustration with the two candidates that are currently on the, the top of the tickets. But uh, join a party and get your voice heard if you're interested in deciding who the candidate's going to be. And then at the end of the day, when the candidates are determined, then look at the policies, look at the record, and and make an informed vote. Uh, but please do vote. All right. A lot of feedback here. Donna in Fairport. Evan, yes, Biden is capable and knows more than Trump ever could in a million years. But for God's sake, read the room. People don't want him to run. Their perception, right or wrong, is the reality on the ground. Ezra Klein listed a huge number of younger, dynamic Democrats who would be great presidential candidates and who will beat would-be despot Trump. And Kamala Harris will not win as she's too tied to Biden, has lower approval ratings, and there is still a presidential glass ceiling. So let's retire the old guard. It's time to bring in the next generation and well past time for term limits, but that's another topic. Goes without saying, I will vote for Biden if he's on the ticket. Donna in Fairport. So there's... Uh, there's Donna saying, read the room. Uh, but Chris says, too late. Chris in Hamlin says, did any of you see Jim Fallow's newsletter this week? For some practical reasons involving campaign funds and the mechanics of delegate selection, the idea of Biden bailing at this point is a pipe dream. That's from Chris. Chris, I didn't read Fallow's newsletter. I like his work. I will tell you that I don't think it's a pipe dream for this reason. If tomorrow Joe Biden, God forbid, had a major health event, or if tomorrow Donald Trump did, these parties would find a way to have someone else at the top of the, the ticket. There's almost nine months to the election. Canada does this in six weeks. Now, it's different there. I get it. It's not the same. But when you have an emergency, you figure it out. And the country has time to digest that and make the change. I don't think the idea that inertia just means you can't do it. I take Sandy's point that you don't want the president to decide not to. But I don't hear you saying it's impossible. Do you think it's impossible? I don't think anything is. I mean, anything is possible, um, but I think it's highly unlikely. And uh, and I do, as I said before, I do hope he stays in. Um, but if something uh, un unfortunate were to happen with him, and the same, you could say the same uh, with the Republican uh, candidates then we absolutely would find a way, I agree with you 100%, we would find a way to organize and put into motion the process of selecting a really wonderful qualified candidate. The, the other thing I just wanted to mention is that it's only in the last 40 or 50 years, 60 years, that, that we've created these two-year cycles to elect a president. In 1968, Robert Kennedy wasn't a candidate, a declared candidate, until March or April. Uh, Hubert Humphrey wasn't a declared candidate until uh, after Johnson pulled out. I think if you build enthusiasm in the short term, you can overcome a lot of that. And honestly, before 1932, uh, presidential candidates didn't even campaign. They sent their surrogates out to campaign for them. And it all happened late. Uh, it, it, they weren't nominated till July or August of the year they were running for president. There was pr no prior campaign. Yeah, yeah. yeah but also uh, remember back in the day, 
Uh, we didn't have social media. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the amount of t- television coverage or the large number of um, outlets, media outlets, uh, radio and television, uh, that that the voters have today. So the candidates do have to be out there. They do have to be seen. Uh, yes, they send surrogates, um, but they also have to have a real strong presence physically, personally, on the campaign trail. I I completely agree with that. But I think in the short term, with greater enthusiasm in the Democratic Party, you could overcome that problem relatively quickly for the exact reason you mentioned. Tons of media, tons of social media. Enthusiasm would build if there were another candidate. I still think that Joe Biden can generate that enthusiasm himself, which is why if he wants to stay in, he should stay in and and there are good reasons to stay in, but it's enthusiasm that drives voters. All right, let me uh, keep ripping through the emails. I'll grab a phone call in just a second here. By just a deluge of emails on this subject. Charles uh, says, um, if it turns out that Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer is a better horse trader than Kamala Harris is, does the convention descend into chaos at the nomination of a candidate who doesn't check the right boxes? What Charles is talking about is something that Ezra Klein talked about in both of his podcast on this subject, which I urge you to listen to, there would be some, probably some struggle to get through to convince a party that the first black woman who could be at the top of the ticket should not be at the top of the ticket. And Klein addresses that. Um, Charles thinks that the party couldn't handle that. Rick, what do you think? Well, I think I think a lot of that depends on what the polling looks like, what what the evidence is that Kamala Harris can win. Um, I don't think she's had a fair chance in the polls because she's been uh, a surrogate for Joe sure. Biden. But you're saying and if the polls don't change, the party do- she's not entitled to the- be at the top of the ticket? I don't. My, my personal opinion is nobody's entitled to be at the top of the ticket. There are clearly people who have a favored position, who've earned it through their skills and their abilities. But the most important thing is winning. And you have to back the person you believe is best capable of winning this election. I I don't, I've got lots of choices, but I would like to see the people perform, how they react, how they go to the convention, how they deal with controversy. You've also said that Barack Obama, the first black president, does that change the situation in terms of a party being hesitant to not nominate a black candidate in Kamala Harris? The interesting thing is I would slightly rephrase that. The question for me is whether you nominate the vice president, somebody who's done the president's bidding. And in that respect, Kamala Harris has clearly an entitlement to be in that debate and in that discussion. And quite frankly, if Joe Biden decides that Kamala Harris is the right candidate for the convention, my guess is she picks up all of his un, his committed delegates who will be free and she wins the convention. But it'll be after a debate about her ability to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important debate to have. Sandy Frankel. I would just add on to that, that uh, not only is race one of the issues that would become, uh, would be in the forefront, but also gender. She would be the first woman uh, president were she to be nominated and win. And I think a lot of women would be very excited about that as well. Okay, Bill in Rochester on the phone. Hi, Bill. Go ahead. 
Hi, guys. Uh, uh, just three things quickly. I agree that Trump's actions on January 6th should disqualify him for uh, being president. However, I'd also suggest that people on the left have done some pretty outrageous things. For instance, Biden's unilateral forgiveness of student loans after the Supreme Court said that he couldn't do it. Letitia James campaigning to prosecute political enemies, namely Trump. And, and another issue you know, then the media always brings up the Muslim ban. Well, truthfully, it wasn't a Muslim ban. He banned a number of uh, Muslim countries, but the biggest Muslim countries are Indonesia, Pakistan, and India. None of those countries were impacted by that uh, move by Trump. So I think it's disingenuous to characterize it as a Muslim ban. Okay, I appreciate that, Bill. I mean, Trump's advisors themselves called it a Muslim ban. So uh, I, I don't want to adjudicate his policies of seven years ago or whatever it was. Um, but I, I, I take the, the point, the, the point as far as it goes there. Um, as for the rest, anything you want to add there, Sandy Frankel? No, I'm okay. I'm Rick? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I, the, those are policy choices that would be part of the debate as the election goes on. Andrew says, has anyone considered the concern that Biden's age might have nothing to do with his physical age, but rather the longevity of his career in politics? In other words, when people say he's too old, they are really saying he's been around too long and we need a fresh face. The fact that Trump is almost just as old as Biden, but is unaffected by the age conversation is one point of evidence to support at least this conclusion. Even though Trump has been president, he represents change and that excites some people. The Democrats need to excite people. An open convention with a new face emerging would do just that. That is from Andrew in Rochester. Sandy? Well, I, can, I really believe that uh, Joe Biden's longevity in government and in politics uh, has given him the experience and the wisdom and the good judgment to bring people together and to move this country forward in positive ways. Uh, when you look at the legislation he's been able to pass in a bipartisan way, uh, when, when Congress is so polarized, when the country is so polarized, I think he brings certain skills and, and talents that someone who has not had that experience, doesn't have those relationships, um, could do as well. So I think Biden is the stronger person. Last minute here. Hal says, you've ignored the fact that campaign organization is not unitary nor rapid. The convention is scheduled August 19th to the 22nd, 2024 at the United Center in Chicago. You've ignored this so far. I think what Hal is saying is that's not a lot of time once you choose a ticket to get states organized. But Biden's fundraising and infrastructure would remain in place. And my guess is that team would just hand it off. 30 seconds. Rick, are you concerned about organization? After I am that? not. Enthusiasm builds organizations. If there's a candidate, it gets Democrats excited to go to the polls and to work for a, for a candidate. I mean, the list is, the bench is strong, whether it's Bashir's, whether it's uh, Klobuchar, whether it's Senator Mark Kelly, whether it's uh, uh, Catherine uh, Mastro from Nevada. I mean, there's a whole host of good quality people out there, including the vice president who would be a... I, I think one of the top players. But the point is, enthusiasm is what you need. All right, as we wrap here, if it's not Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, who do you want to be the next president? Sandy Frankel. Joe Biden. Uh, <laughs> that's dodging the question. Uh, Rick Dollinger. Uh, I'm for Joe Biden, but if it isn't, I could deal with an all-female ticket of uh, Kamala Harris and Amy Klobuchar. Okay. There you go. You didn't say Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, I think Amy Klobuchar's 
uh, more experienced, a stronger politician. I could deal with Whitmer, but I think Amy Klobuchar is a, a better candidate. That's Our interesting. I like that. Our guests yeah. have been delegates to past conventions. Rick Dollinger, Sandy Frankel. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for being here. Appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Um, and we've got more connections coming up in just a moment.